invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, as we are continuing uh, Paul in this second part of the letter explaining what the Christian life looks like, and it looks like walking in love as he's explained in uh, the first part of chapter 5, and uh, today is going to continue to just press on, um, press the the, the gospel and the call of, of God onto the life of uh, the church, God's people, in the midst of a fallen world. And so uh, we'll find these words to be very uh, penchant, very relevant for the world in which we live and for the lives that we live. Let's give our attention then to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 14. <clears throat> Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving." For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's ask the Lord's blessing as we open His Word. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You've poured out Your Holy Spirit, that we might have these Scriptures, and that we might understand them. And we thank You, Lord, that we can anticipate You speaking then to us through Your Word today. Give us ears to hear it, hearts to embrace it, uh, and may it, Lord, be transformative for our life and for Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, there are texts in the Bible that um, are not obviously and immediately relevant to just the current circumstances of our life. I think about, for instance, the book of Leviticus, and you read it, and uh, it's interesting, but it's, it's not immediately obvious how it applies. Well, uh, this is not such a text. Uh, this text is an incredibly relevant. Uh, it's really astonishing how it Something written 2,000 years ago can be so, accurately, uh, so accurate as it describes the culture in which we live uh, today. You could, I think, easily argue uh, that the defining characteristics of our culture are specifically the things that Paul uh, forbids to Christians. Sexual immorality, impurity, obscenity, foolish talk. Uh, those are things that w- will define our culture. Uh, it defines, of course, the world of fallen men in general. That's why Paul can write this uh, to the church in Ephesus so long ago, and it's, and it's so relevant today. Uh, nothing is new under the sun. 
And so Paul is writing here to these brothers and sisters, this young church, these young Christians, and uh, they are living in a culture very much like ours, a culture that is blatantly pagan and aggressively perverse. And Paul is writing to them, uh, not just with a list of rules, uh, it might you could easily read this and say, well, here's just a list of things that you, thou shalt not. And, and Paul does say, right, we must not. But, but these are not just a list of rules. This is a really um, a reminder of the mission that we have as the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we are people that have been called out of the darkness of sin, out of the darkness of deception, the darkness of the devil's lies. Uh, and we've been called into the light of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the light of truth, real truth of, of who God is and who we are and what it means to walk with Him. And uh, this is a text equipping us to do exactly the thing that God has called us to do, which is to be in the world shining as light, shining to the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, if you uh, remember, we were looking at the first two verses where Paul talks about uh, walking in love. And if you remember, we, we, uh, we showed that that lifestyle is empowered by remembering certain objective facts, uh, the fact of the, the, the reality of God, right? We're to imitate Him, uh, the fact of our identity, that we are beloved children of God, uh, the fact of Jesus' amazing love for us. He gave Himself for us, and, and that those facts are the things that actually empower a transformed life where we love God and, and we're increasingly loving other people. And so we have this very same thing this morning as Paul moves forward. He's going to give us rules and then reasons for those rules, remind, re, reminding us of, of who we are and, and what our calling is as those who belong to Jesus Christ. And so I have just two, two main points today. First, the rules, and then the reasons. Uh, the rules and the reasons. Let's uh, go through then what Paul says to us by the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, sexual immorality and impurity, all covetousness, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Uh, sexual immorality and impurity is just a general term that covers every... Um, sexual act or thought or desire that's contrary to the will of God. Uh, God made us as sexual beings, men and women. Uh, God encourages joyful sexual expression in the context of a covenant marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, God made it and it's good. And the church can say it is good. However, God's uh, plan for our sexual life is not seen as good in the world in which we live. Uh, it is increasingly and uh, belligerently scoffed at, and not just by the world, but increasingly by professing Christians. Uh, this past summer, Tim Keller uh, tweeted a, um, uh, a little comment about Christian sexual ethic and was roundly criticized and, and mocked for it. He said this, Sexual love... Uh, if it is not expressed in an exclusive, lifelong covenant relationship, is dehumanizing. Dehumanizing. It falls short of who we are as those made in the image of God. Well, that's a pretty, that's a thoughtful, profound, biblical statement. 
But the protest was immediate and not, as I said, by, simply by the world, but, but uh, very loudly by those who profess to be Christians. And so one, for instance, a Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, a Presbyterian minister in the mainline church, the USA, um, she wrote this in response. It's kind of stunning to hear this talk in the mouths of modern Christian men. Really? Sex inside marriage only? These white evangelical men need to get their noses out of the bedrooms of God's people and turn their missionary zeal away from who's, who's having sex with whom, how, and when, and feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and take care of their kin. That, Isaiah says, is the kind of worship God desires. And so the gist of the progressive Christian argument in the world, of course, is that love is love and God really could care less about who you sleep with or what you do with your sexuality. Well, you can believe that as you like, if you'd like. Uh, you just can't believe that and be a Christian. And I just say that on the authority of the Word of God. That the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is not writing something that is strange, new. This isn't a new teaching. This is the universal teaching of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Sexual immorality is defined by the Word of God, uh, as God understands it, and it is forbidden for God's people. It's how the Gentiles live, as Paul would say earlier on. Now, that doesn't mean this is, of course, it's, it's not easy. Sexual sins are sins that we face, and, and they're sins that we fall into. Paul, Paul isn't saying, right, that you can't be a Christian if you, if you battle with sexual temptation. Or if you've fallen into sexual sin. Of, of course you can, right? That's, that's the path of repentance. That's the path of sanctification. We have all sinned sexually in one way or another. Thought, word, or deed. Some of us are in the grips of that battle today. And, and don't hear this word as saying, well, if you're, if you're battling with sexual sin, uh, you're just a bad person or you're, or you're not a Christian. Don't, don't hear that. It's not what Paul is saying. What he's saying is that God has called you into something better and don't make peace with the sin. It's not what God has called you to. Don't listen to people who are telling you that it's perfectly okay and it's perfectly normal and God doesn't care. God does care. Cared enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to free you from the guilt and the bondage of our sin. And so in, in that context now, God calls us to a newness of life. And it's not just sexual sin, it's, it's covetousness. A coveting heart is a heart that's idolatrously seeking its life in anything other than God. That can be money, that could be your family, that could be your reputation, success at work, pleasure. And, and notice that Paul makes this a very strong restriction. He says these things are, should not even be named among you. Not even named among you. Uh, the point is that sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness are so contrary to our calling that uh, God's holy people are not allowed to flirt with the idea. We're, we're not allowed to do exactly what Dr. Uh, Jackie Lewis does and, and thousands others like her, professing Christians who debate about 
whether or not these things have a place in the Christian life. Uh, debate as though there might be a legitimate place for what God forbids. Well, there's not a legitimate place for sin in the Christian life of any sort, and not sexual sin either. So, so, so don't have those conversations. And, and, and if you hear a brother or sister having that conversation, maybe just open your Bible and go to Ephesians chapter 5 and say, brother, we're not allowed to have those conversations as those these are legitimate things for Christians to participate in. No filthiness, Paul goes on, foolish talk or coarse, coarse joking. Filthiness is obscenity in language or behavior. Foolish talk, thoughtless talk, talk that's devoid of godly wisdom. If you study the Greek here, uh, you, you see that the word that Paul uses here for foolish talk can be translated as Twitter. Just got to be honest. I mean, social media is one of the greatest vehicles for foolishness and obscenity in the history of the world. And I, and I think we're, we tend as Christians to just be blithely ignorant or, or not willing to just face that. Uh, I'm not saying, of course, those platforms can't be used for good, but, but everyone, pagans and, and Christians alike, recognize that they're profoundly and often used for things that are not good and, and are, are so incredibly divisive. Did you know that, maybe I've said this before, but this fact just stuns me. Uh, 2019, MIT technology, so not some uh, podunk little outfit uh, over on the margins, but people who, who are smart, revealed that 19 of the top 20 Facebook pages for Christians, 19 of the top 20, are run by Eastern European troll farms uh, based primarily in Kosovo and Macedonia. Uh, so these the point, the purpose of these troll farms is they'll, they'll feed good things to create credibility and then they'll put in um, things that are outrage people, scare people, divide people, and they're doing it intentionally to the church. So let's just wake up to those things. Wake up, O oh sleeper. It's worth noting that Paul places obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking in the same list as sexual immorality and impurity. They're all serious sins, right? And the, and the prohibitions are all, they're, they're resolute. Yes, the world will mock it. Uh, the world will think we're crazy. But, but this is what God says. And it's what, and it's what God means. And, and we ignore what God says and what God means to our peril. Paul expects every child of God to, to hear this and say, Yes, I accept this. I submit to this. Now, the, the critical question is, why should we? Why should we allow these commands right here in this, in this text, why should we let them be normative in our life so that we actually take action and respond in obedience? What needs to happen for these words to become more than just another sermon and become words that compel you to take radical action against porno uh, pornography? and compel you to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Compel you to stop reading slutty novels. Stop watching slutty television and movie scenes. So you'd actually turn it off. Close the book. Put it away. What would, what would, have, to, what would have to happen for us to actually wake up and let Christ shine upon us in a transformative way? Because you see, if that doesn't happen, this will just be another sermon. And it'll just be a reminder of things you already know, but, but things that have not yet transformed the way you live. 
Well, once again, you see, we'd have to be compelled by the factual reasons behind the commands. And Paul gives us reasons. For instance, notice, he reminds us that we're saints. These things are improper for for those who are saints. That's how Paul thinks of the church. He, He doesn't think of the church primarily as sinners. He knows they're sinners, but that's not how he thinks of the church. He thinks of the church as people who are saints, people who've been called to God's, uh, for God's own purposes, people who've been set aside. Uh, he wants us to remember that. Remember, holiness is, is not a statement about your moral status. It's a statement about your purpose. So holy things in the Old Testament are things that have been removed from common use, common purpose, and have been set aside for God's purpose, for God's usage. Boys and girls, maybe your mom has special china. And, um, and you got the, uh, you know, you got the little plastic uh, cups that you can use for everyday drinking and, and, uh, and other common usage. And then there's the special, the special plates, the special glasses and cups. And they're dedicated to special use. Well, Paul's reminding us as a church, we've been dedicated to a special use. God's purpose in calling us was to make us His holy people. That was Ephesians 1.4, right? He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And we're His workmanship so that God has prepared good works for us to do. That's, that's Ephesians 2, verse 10. So Paul wants us to remember these things aren't just wrong, they're inappropriate for saints, for people who've been set apart to the purpose of God, the cause of God, the glory of God. We're not just, we're not just your typical West Michigan American citizen. It's not who we are. If that's our identity, well, then we're going to live like your typical West Michigan American citizen. But that's not, that's not fundamentally who we are. We are fundamentally God's called out holy people. And so to live a life of, uh, that in, engages in these sins, well, it's like using mom's special dishes to catch frogs or dig holes in the sandbox. It's just, it's offensive, it's wrong, inappropriate, doesn't belong. So the first point, we're, we're saying, second point, there's a coming judgment. If you may be sure of this, Paul says, verse 5, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Notice how he begins. You may be sure of this. Now, why would he say that? Because there's all kinds of people. There are always all kinds of people saying, hey, you know, that that's not, doesn't mean exactly what it seems to say. And um, judgment is, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a category over here that we just don't really talk about. I don't think you really need to worry about it. Um, God is a God of love. God is a God who forgives. God understands. We're just human. Uh, judgment, that was kind of an old, old Testament category. It's not really functioning in the New Testament. Um, Paul just says, you may be sure of this. Just mark this down. God does judge those who don't repent. Uh, there is a coming judgment, and uh, it, is, it, is, it is real. It's significant. Uh, Snodgrass, in his commentary, says, relatively few people in our society, Christians included, take judgment seriously. The naivety is amazing. 
And so we have this disposition in our own heart to think that judgment wouldn't happen to us. It's, it's, like, uh, it's, it, it's very similar to us thinking that we, we're not really going to die. Of course, we know mortality is a very, very high rate, but, but not, it doesn't really have to affect my life. We, we just have this bent, this blindness, and, and Paul says, no, 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 be sure of this. The problem, of course, is we have, we have those who deceive us with empty words, Paul says. We have religious people, blogs and, and, and things uh, crowded with people that are telling us that there is no divine judgment for sexual immorality, and those who would suggest that there is, uh, they're just hateful. There's no, there's no judgment for impurity, for foolish talk, for covetousness. There's nothing to fear, nothing to be afraid of. Not if you believe in Jesus, not if you go to church. Well, Paul says don't be deceived because a million people are deceived. Jesus says on the last day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart, I never knew you. So we've got to be clear about this. So Paul wants us to know just very basic things. Those who do such things unrepentantly, of course, have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Now again, this does not mean that if you've done these things, the judgment of God is falling on you. There's a gospel for people who do these things. Okay? There's a savior for people who do these things. As we confess these things, and as we pray for God to transform our life, as we trust in the Lord Jesus, and then, and then pray to be transformed. So just a very important thing to remember. Jesus doesn't save us from justification by cleaning up our act. If you think that's the case, then if your act is not very clean, you're going you're gonna to be really struggling with any sense of assurance. Jesus does not save us from judgment by cleaning up our act. Jesus saves us by grace and then cleans up our act. And that's a fundamental difference so that the, the, the sins that we battle have got to be battled with gospel. However, don't let gospel blind you to sobering truth. Jesus, Paul, the Holy Spirit speaks sobering truth. And, I, and it's, it's sobering for us right here this morning as we battle our own sin, as we live in families that are dealing with Sinful sexual relationships. Some of you this morning are, are involved in sexual sin on an ongoing basis. And you're stuck. And maybe you've made peace with it. And, and Paul, it, with all love, wants to, wants to move you out of the peace that you've made with your sexual sin. Some of you are in the grip of idolatrous coveting. Some of you are blithely engaging in, in obscenity and foolish talk. And so Paul's words are meant to get our attention they're meant to just wake us up. That these things really, really matter to God. And that he's called us to a new life. And so therefore, Paul says, verse 7, do not become partners with them. Verse 11, same idea. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That we have a calling in the world. It's not to shun people, right? The Bible says we're to be in the world, but not of the world. In, but not of. But what Paul is saying, don't be partners with people in their disobedience. You can't go along with it. You can't go along with it. That means we're going to have to be willing to humbly, graciously, and firmly take a stand 
as the world around us, as progressive Christians, or, or, or just other maybe believers who see it differently, but as, as the world just presses in, we're not going to be able to avoid taking a stand. Family members are going to invite you to a homosexual wedding. Other family members are, they're, they're, people are wanting you to respect, right, someone who's transitioning from a young man or young woman. People that you know and love are going to be offended when you confront them about sleeping with their girlfriend or boyfriend. That's just reality. We need to be ready for it. And some of you are in the middle of that immediate, you're, right now. You're dealing with it right now. And, and Paul is just saying we can't comply or condone. And, and, and those are hard lines to draw. It takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of prayer. But we can't comply or condone. We're called to speak the truth in love, humbly, graciously, firmly holding to God's revealed truth. And, and, and there's a way of doing this winsomely. There's a way of doing it angrily and self-righteously and obnoxiously. Where it's just about you being right and, and them being wrong. But there's a way of doing it that is covered with gospel grace. That I've sinned in, uh, more, than, more than you can imagine. God alone knows the depths of the depravity of my own sinful heart. So, so when I'm talking to you, brother or sister, I am not talking from up here. I'm talking sinner to sinner. But, but what I know is that the only way to joy and truth and peace and freedom is... is by trusting in Jesus Christ and obeying Him. And I'm begging you to do that. And, and, and I simply can't comply or condone what God says is wrong. That is such a hard thing to do when it's a loved one, and yet it's such a God-honoring thing to do. When with tears running down your face, you just take that humble stand. I was just talking to someone this week, a member of our church, who had to tell a, a sister who was getting married to her lesbian partner, I can't participate in the wedding. I love you from the bottom of my heart, and I always will, but I love Jesus more. Friends, those are conversations that are increasingly going to happen, and, and let's not shy away from them, because let's remember that it's exactly at that place that we are called to live as light. And that's the last reason Paul gives, we're light. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. You see, I love how Paul bases these commands in objective gospel facts. Here, here he, packs, he, he points to the, the fact of, of what it meant for us to be converted. We were at one time darkness. That's what we were. We loved our sin. We really had no genuine concern for Jesus Christ. We just liked having our way and doing our thing. But now, but now... God has done something, but now you are light in the Lord. By grace, through faith, we've entered into a new reality. We're new people. We have a, we have a changed heart. If you've professed faith in Jesus Christ, you, you're no longer in the darkness of sin and deception. You're in the light of God's divine truth, in the light of God's saving grace. Remember what Paul says in Colossians 1.13. He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're new people. And notice Paul doesn't just say that we're in the light. Paul says we are light. You are light. So, Live like what you are. 
Where does he get the idea that we are light, that, it's, that, that light isn't just where we live, but who we are? Well, he, of course, gets that from Jesus Christ, who says to his disciples, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. God is, has called us and, and saved us in order to be this. This is, this is the mission, you see. So that we might be a display in a dark and ever-darkening world of, of the goodness of God and the goodness of God's ways and, and the wonder of God's power and the miracle of God's grace and the, the faithfulness of God's truth. And we can speak that without apology because it's God's goodness and God's power and God's grace and it's God's truth and there's nothing our sin blackened world needs to hear more than those things and that's our identity and that's our purpose Peter will say chapter chapter 2 verse 9 you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light we're light. Can you believe that? You? A light? Yeah, you. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you, do you want to, to be made more and more like Him? Are, are you engaged in the battle with sin? Do you believe all that God has, has, has promised to you in Jesus? You're, 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 you're light. And as you live in that and walk in that, you'll be amazed at the impact you can have. I was reading Ian Hamilton's commentary. tells the story of his conversion. Uh, he was not raised in a Christian home. But he was converted in large part by the, the, the witness of a, another young man, specifically the light of his life. So he writes this, Hamilton does, My first encounter with biblical Christianity was meeting a young man whose life both intrigued and convicted me. His presence seemed to expose something of the emptiness of my own life. When we met some years later, I remarked to him that God used his life to speak powerfully into mine. I then said I had no recollection of him sharing the gospel with me. He was puzzled by that. He said, uh, because if he remembered, he was always sharing the gospel with me. I have no doubt that he had been. But I remember, but what I remember was not his words, but the impact of his life. It was his joyful, unaffected, Christ-like life that hooked me and prepared me to hear the gospel. So Hamilton says, the transformative power of a Christ-like life and a spirit-empowered testimony cannot be understated. Now, we're not only called to live. We're called to speak. But you see, a life of humility and grace and truth a life following Jesus Christ. There's, a, there's, there's something about that life that, that, that gives people the ability to hear. If you think about Rosario Butterfield's conversion. It wasn't happened initially because she was won over by superior arguments. She just couldn't quite understand this old couple that, uh, that loved her, a uh, the professor of queer theory at Syracuse University, and invited her into, her into their home and just began to befriend her. She didn't have a category for that. And it was incredibly compelling. What was it that made these people tick? What, how could they be so kind and loving and gracious? Isn't that what we, what we want our life to be? It's what God calls us to. Brothers and sisters, we have a wonderful mission in this 
darkening world. We can sit and, uh, and rage about it. We can, we can complain about it. Uh, we can get afraid about because of it. Or, or we, can, we can take up the mantle. We can take up the mission, the call. To live happily for Jesus Christ, submitted to His Word unapologetically because we're convinced this is the path of life and health and peace. And then, sh- and then intentionally shine. Shine in your home. Shine at work, at school, in your community. Lay hold of your identity. Lay hold of your calling. Engage. Continue to battle the battle that we fight with sin. Brother and sister, if, if, if this morning uh, God has convicted you about a struggle with sexual sin or a struggle with, with, with covetousness, you're just bound by it, God has given you help given us help. Uh, we, we have men's and women's groups who, who will help you specifically deal with, with uh, addictions to sexual sin. And by the power of the gospel, allow you to, to walk free. Feel free to, for, to, to ask about it. Just reach out. Don't, you, don't stay stuck. Uh, Greg Norfleet's going to begin a new, a new class on general addiction. So if you're dealing maybe with alcohol, drugs, or some other addiction, uh, he's going to be starting a, a group to not just a class, but a, a group where you're talking and praying and learning together. We, we get to do this together. The beauty of it, you see, is that the Jesus Christ who calls us to this life is the very Jesus who gave his life to enable it. That the power of the cross that raises from the dead is the same power that, in, that, that allows us to put to death our sin. And that we actually and it truly can grow in grace. We can grow in obedience. We can grow in, in, uh, in the holiness that God has called us to. By the power of God, let's lay hold of it. Let's take this word. Let's apply it. Let's help each other walk in it. May God get all the glory. Amen. Oh, Father in heaven, I, I thank you there's a gospel for sinners like us. And there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, where would we be if that were not true? Lord, I, I, I pray for the church this morning. Lord, forgive us for lies that we've believed. Forgive us, Lord, for the carelessness that we've shown in our own walk. where We've not lived according to our identity as the children of God and as saints And Father, we, we, we want to grow in holiness as your church. We want, to, we want to be people who are carrying out the mission you've given to us, to shine as light. Uh, the light being Jesus. And that, and that the humility and kindness and grace and truth of our life would point to him. And Lord, that as we shine as light, that we would be then free to invite other people to this Jesus, to know him. And Father, if there are any even here this morning who have never done that, have never come to know Jesus in a personal way as their Savior and Lord, I pray that the Spirit would, would convict and compel them to come. And Lord, for those who are stuck in sin today, I thank you that there is a gospel that is sufficient for us and and Lord, maybe for some of who've, who've lost our way and been so caught up in a thousand other things, we've forgotten about this calling, this mission. 
Lord, I just pray that you would use your your word today to, to convict us and purify us and compel us to live according to who we are in Jesus as light. And we'll give him the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond and sing this uh, wonderful song. There's power in the name of Jesus to save helpless sinners just like me. Flee from sin, run to Jesus.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.